When you're asked to suffer for Christ's sake, do you put in the balance, what is this in comparison to what my Lord Jesus suffered for me? You see, to put yourself on the scales of Calvary will fix the complaints and the uh, murmurings of God's people. It will make you to realize that what it costs you to bear shame for Jesus in this world is so little. And then the spiritual sufferings. And ah, who can preach this? Who can understand it? Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher again, and we are rejoicing on this day when we remember the death of our Lord Jesus. And I trust that today's message on enduring the cross. And of course, our Lord Jesus endured the cross for us. And now he calls upon us to take up the cross for him. And at the close of the service, we're going to sing together the old rugged cross, our Cloverdale congregation singing the message of the old rugged cross. And I trust that it will be a great blessing unto your own heart. We're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And I trust that your heart will be engaged today as we minister this message on the cross of Calvary. What must it have been for the Son of God to be kneeled to that rough, rugged Roman cross and to not only be accursed of men and to be spat upon by wicked men, but to endure God's wrath. Think of it, and stay tuned now as we let the Bible speak. And you must believe in the cross. You're called to believe in the purpose of Jesus enduring the cross. Do you see it there in the verse that we have taken as our text? Do you see purpose written in verse 2 of Hebrews 12? What statement in that verse would you draw a pointer or an arrow to and say, there's the purpose? Surely it would be for the joy that was set before him. That's the purpose. But is it not strange that you find in the same text as the gory bloodshedding of Jesus on that cross, the thing of joy? Was it not a thing of pain? Was it not a thing of agony? Did the blackness did not surround Calvary, shutting man out when the sword of divine justice smote the Son of God as he offered up himself an atoning sacrifice, a substitutionary lamb. Tell me, where's the joy in the cross? Well, it says it is the cross that was set before him. And what was before the Lord Jesus for bleeding and dying on the cross was the church that he would redeem. The bride 
that would become his very body, and he would be the head. And so in that statement and in the death of Jesus, you have the assurance of the church, because this was the promise of the Father. The Father said to the Son, I will give you a people. You pay the ransom price. You shed your blood and suffer for them, and I will give you a people, a definite people, a multitude of people, an innumerable number, and they will be your bride, your blessed body for all eternity. That leads us to the assembling of the church. And Jesus said uh, that he gave his life for the sheep, and no one will pluck them out of my hand or the Father's hand. There will be the assembling of the church. And in Jude 24, the apostle Jude said, unto him that is able to present us faultless before the Father in glory. Christ will do that. And because he went to the cross and paid the full price, he by his blood washes, sanctifies, purifies his people. Are you washed in his blood? Are you purified by the blood of Christ? Can you say, I am one whom Jesus will present to his Father and say, Father, here's one for whom I died and I shed my blood. Calvary is not just history. It is his story of loving the church so much that Jesus was willing to die for her. And of course, husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And so there is not only the assurance, the assembly, but there is the attending glory. Oh, we shall be there in that glory land soon. The church in heaven will gather around the throne, and the church, the saints that are made white in the blood of the Lamb, will sing praises to the name of Jesus for all eternity. That's the joy that was set before the Son. Jesus, you die. Lord Jesus, the church will be yours, and you will hear their praises, their songs of the Lamb for all eternity. Let me ask you, do you believe in the purpose for which Jesus died? There's a lot of people questioning his death. There are religions in this world that deny his death. You say, I believe he died. But let me ask you, do you believe that his blood was shed for you to wash you? And in the power of that blood, that sacrifice of Calvary, you have an assurance of eternal life with God in glory. That's the purpose of the cross. We move now to the payment 
Christ made by enduring the cross. You'll see what it says here. He calls it enduring the cross. It was, of course, no easy passage. There were no shortcuts. There was no relief for the suffering of the Lord Jesus. Now, the sufferings of our Lord on that cross take two headings or two categories. Uh, There is the physical sufferings that he bore, and then the spiritual sufferings that he bore. And we see the physical suffering in Jesus' death, because the cross was designed for suffering. There is nothing about it that brings ease or escape. The cross was designed to bring the victim, the criminal, and in this case, our Lord Jesus, to the point of exhaustion. And then when he would hang limp, eke out a few breaths, and the final end would be suffocation. Now, when our Lord was to be nailed to the cross, the women gathered with their potions of vinegar and gall to offer some relief to the Savior. That wine was, or vinegar was, the cheapest of wine, the stuff that soldiers drank. And then they mixed into it gall, or as Mark in his gospel calls it, myrrh, some form of spice uh, that was like a, some degree of narcotic that would dull the senses and dull the pain. Our Lord Jesus, when he took one sip, refused it. He endured all the physical trauma and the suffering of that cross. There was offered to the Lord Jesus many ways of escape, but he wouldn't take them. He stood silent before Pilate. And again with Herod, they could find no way out. He did not plea bargain. He did not compromise. Nor did he cry to his father, send the angels to free me from the cross. But he went all the way down the path of torture and suffering. He endured the cross for you and for me. Do you believe that? When you're asked to suffer for Christ's sake, do you put in the balance, what is this in comparison to what my Lord Jesus suffered for me? You see, to put yourself on the scales of Calvary will fix the complaints and the uh, murmurings of God's people. It will make you to realize that what it costs you to bear shame for Jesus in this world is so little. And then the spiritual sufferings. And ah, who can preach this? Who can understand it? That during those hours of darkness, as Isaiah said in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Father to bruise him. God in infinite justice was willing to slay the victim of his Son just because my sins were laid and loaded on him. And it pleased God. Can you understand it? Can you take it in? 
that God found some form of pleasure in allowing the sword to fall upon his son, that it might not fall upon his people, you and me. This is the, the wonder of the cross. There is no wrath left for us. While Jesus refused the cup of vinegar and gall, he drank all the cup of God's wrath. He drank it dry. And there is none remaining for you. Do you believe that? Looking unto Jesus called you to believe this. If you are looking unto Jesus, you are taking it in. You are accepting the truth, and you are resting your soul's salvation on this reality that Jesus endured the cross to make payment for you. Believe it. Believe it and be saved. Again, look at the text. You will see here that you are called to believe in the perfecting of our salvation when Christ endured the cross. The author and the finisher of our faith. The word finisher, I'll stick with that one. I don't have time to expound it all. But if you look at the word finisher, it means perfecter. It is just one word in the Greek language, and linguists believe that the Greeks coined this word so that they could pack into it a notion of meaning in just one word. The one word the same root word that Jesus cried out on the cross. It is finished. He is the finisher of our faith. And in one word, we have full, completed, and total salvation. Do you believe that? Really? You've got to be the richest person in all the world. If you can say that my redemption has been perfected by Jesus on the cross, I have nothing more to pay. Then Paul got it right when he talked in Ephesians about the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. Now, preachers need a little bit of help sometimes we wish someone would come up to the pulpit and just take over and preach for us and explain it much better than we can. But I have invited Arthur W. Pink in word here to the pulpit today, and I want you to hear his words on what Jesus perfected when he endured the cross. He said, this was not the despairing cry of a helpless martyr, it was not an expression of satisfaction that the termination of his sufferings were now reached. It was not the last gasp of a worn-out life. No, rather was it the declaration on the part of the divine Redeemer that all for which he came from heaven to earth to do was now done, that all that was needed to reveal the full character of God had now been accomplished, that all that was required by the law 
before sinners could be saved was now performed. That the full price of our redemption was now paid. And so God's long-standing purpose of sending a Messiah, of whom Daniel the prophet said that Messiah shall be cut off. And there in A.D. 33 at the cross of Calvary, the life of our Lord Jesus was cut off. Not finally by men's power, mind you, because our Lord led up his, gave up his own life. And it was only left for the seventh saying of the cross to be uttered, Father, into thy hands I commit my soul. And so we sing today that great hymn, "'Tis done, the great transaction's done. I am the Lord's, and he is mine. He drew me, and I followed on, charmed to confess the love divine. Happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. Do you believe that? Is that your faith? Is that your Christianity? Are you a Calvary Christian? Are you rejoicing and resting, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith? If so, then you're perfectly forgiven, perfectly pardoned, perfectly accepted by God. To have Jesus, the perfecter of your faith, means that you have perfect salvation. What a gospel! Is that what you believe in? Some people may never have told me what you believe in. I would like you to tell me at the door when we go out today. Before you eat, would you tell me, I believe that we learned in that verse today. I personally am looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. That's the gospel that we must trust in. You're also called to believe in the proof that Jesus endured the cross and has been accepted by God for us. What is the proof? Well, we're back to our text again. And at the end of the verse, it says this, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What do you do when you finish your work? You sit down, unless you have an office job. When you finish a job, and your body is weary, and you're looking for rest, you sit down. And when the Scripture tells us here that Christ finished the work and is set down at the right hand of God, that's the proof. God raised him up, brought him into the throne of glory, and made him King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus has entered his reward. His sufferings are all over. His glory is begun. We know that if there be no cross, there be no crown. No Savior's suffering, then no sovereign reigning. No shame on earth, then no songs in that eternal Zion. And Jesus drunk the bitter cup that he might enter into the joy that was set before him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that our Lord Jesus now is enthroned and the 
saints in glory are gathered around that throne before him, praising him night and day. You do? You really do? You're going to tell me at the door, yes? Your answer is yes? An absolute yes? No, no quiver, no prevarications, no question marks. You believe you are really personally looking unto Jesus. Now, why did Paul write all this? Why did he take that text and put it right in there? Because he wanted the Hebrews to be ready to suffer unto blood. Look at verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. These are days when Christians tend to faint. These are discouraging times to be a Christian. We have a great apostasy advancing across this world. We have the pressure coming on those that will hold to the inspired Word, the deity of Christ, the blood of Christ, and the Ten Commandments. And there's no contradiction between being a Christian and holding to the Ten Commandments as the rule of life. That's the will of God. And when we call sin, sin, the world will hate, the world will despise. But we have to be willing to bear the contradiction of sinners, the shame, the curse of men, lest we faint. And as Paul said, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Or as Paul said in Romans 8, if we suffer with him, that we shall also be glorified together. Would you meditate on this? Now, we're all going to go downstairs, and we're going to talk, and we're going to have a, a great time together. But I trust that even before the midnight hour of today, that you could take this word and meditate upon it. Dr. Alexander McLaren said that meditate is the lost word of our generation. And he lived in the 1800s. We're living in a world of rush, a world of distraction, a world when Christians are starving their souls for want of meditation on the simple truths of God's Word. Take hold of the truth that suffering with Christ is the way to glory. No cross, no crown. Some will not identify with Jesus because they do not want to bear the shame. Some count the cost too great. But life will soon be over, and there is a terrible long hell awaiting those who live for the pleasures of sin for a little season. Surely one hour in hell would fix all the complaining Christians who say, this is too much. I can't bear this. What you are asked to bear in this world is usually your pride, your name, your reputation, 
or maybe the cold shoulder of men. What Paul was addressing in this book of Hebrews were Messianic Jews who had turned to Christianity but were on the very brink of drawing back and departing from Christ. And Paul said, don't do it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, keep your eyes on the future joy, and you'll endure. Thank God Christ drank the cup of suffering for us. This is good news. This is Good Friday. This is the best news that any believer can have. There's no more suffering in eternity for me. Whatever I might be asked to endure in this world, it will not do my soul any harm. I might lose a dollar here and a dollar there, and I might lose a friend here and a friend there, but I'll save my soul, and I'll one day enter into the joy that is set before us also if we will endure the cross. Not the sufferings of Calvary, but to take up the cross and identify with Christ. Yes, confess his name before men, and he promises he will confess us before the Father in glory. Do you believe? I'm looking forward to hearing your voice on the way out today. I trust that the Lord will meet with us and that this word will stay with us and that we will ever, ever keep looking unto Jesus. There's no other way for us. Keep on looking unto Jesus. We have a hymn to sing in closing. It's the old rugged cross. My wife requested that I keep this hymn to the final one. She thought that will be a great hymn to end the service, and I think she's right, as she always is. 143, on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. One, four, three. Shall we stand to sing? Listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca 
CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.